Hello and welcome to Disrupt TV. Today's the third day of the World Economic Forum at Davos. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist of Salesforce, and your co-host for the next 30 minutes. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest questions hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my uh, pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO founder of Constellation Research best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and ZDNet. You can follow Ray on Twitter at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray from Davos. Hi, everybody. Hi, live from Davos here. And uh, here with my co-host, Bala Afshar, uh, one of the top CIO CMO follows, and of course, Salesforce's chief digital transformation, chief digital evangelist. And uh, we were actually uh, here on day three. So let's see, who do we have here? Because Davos has been all about blockchain it is like the number one topic and I figured we probably should have the number one blockchain person on the show who do we have Ava? we have it's our pleasure to have uh, again one of the top blockchain experts in the world uh, Richie Aguaro he's the chief digital uh, officer at uh, IQVOS is that did I pronounce that correctly Richie? IQVIA. IQVIA. <laughs> IQVIA. Akuvia. He's the author of uh, Blockchain Trust Companies. He's one of the first chief digital officers at a Fortune 500 company. He's also an adjunct professor of blockchain management at Syracuse University. Some of you may have seen his TED Talk on blockchain massively simplified. He's a must follow, not just blockchain, but emerging technologies and digital transformation on Twitter at Richie Eduardo, R-I-C-H-I-E-E-T-W-A-R-U. Welcome, Richie, to our Davos edition of Disrupt TV. Thank you for having me. Let's get into it. Hey, you know, you recently wrote a book on blockchain trust companies. Every company is at risk. You took a unique approach to address the models of human innovation and capital flows. And I think that's really what sets this book apart from all the other blockchain books that are out there. How does this change the world of commerce? And what what's this thing you call trusted commerce? Very good. Thank you, Ray. And I think, look, if, if you can walk away with anything from the next couple of minutes that we're going to spend here is that the economic model of commerce is going to change. We are in what we call, or what I call right now, the experience and engagement economy. Okay. And this started sometime around 2000. and I think it's going to end in about 2020. And the way you differentiate in the experience and engagement economy is with a better experience, it's a better engagement. It's that simple. Now, when these economic periods start, there's a lot of really, really good ideas that you can get, but as they start to tail off, you run out of ideas, okay? Before this, we must have been competing with something else. I call the period before this economic period the price and quality economic period, and it lasted from about 1960 to about the year 2000, where you competed with either price or quality, largely driven by the democratization of credit, right? Credit cards mean hundreds of thousands of people could build things and buy things, and we had malls and supply chains, et cetera. Now, as we run out of ways to differentiate with experience and with engagement, serendipitously, there's a technology paradigm that is creating a condition where we can differentiate with something new. That new thing is trust and transparency. So blockchain is sort of serendipitously here at the end of the experience and, and, and engagement economic period and the beginning of a new economic period where the main method of differentiation is going to be trust and transparency, and I call that trusted commerce. Richie, when we talk, when most people think about blockchain, they're thinking about a $600 billion cryptocurrency market 
led by Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple and so on and so forth. There are hundreds of them. You know, what lessons should organizations think about and what, what the importance of not confusing blockchain with Bitcoin? Yeah, so, so I, I, I've been quoted a few times by saying the following statement, uh, you know, Bitcoin is the blockchain what AOL chat was to the internet. And there's actually a backstory behind that. I've, I've never told this on stage before, I'll tell it on your show. Here's the backstory. When I was around 16, I figured out how to write code, right? So you're 16 years old, I got my whole life ahead of me and I can buy space. I bought space from CompuServe and I was gonna write code and launch my first application to take over the internet, right? And AOL was around, I was using AOL chat. So I wrote an app, I wrote a chat application. Like five people used it, me, my brother, and a couple of my friends, right? And it, it, it wasn't successful. I had the whole power of the internet in front of me, in my hands, and the only thing I could do is write a chat application because I saw AOL chat. And for the next 10 years, I kept myself in the head. When I saw YouTube, I was so depressed. I was like, God, I had the whole thing in front of me, and all I could do is write AOL chat. So when I landed on Bitcoin, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not making the same mistake again. This is the first app. I want to study the protocol behind the scenes. So if you're thinking about writing crypto for your organization or a coin for your organization, you're writing another chat application like from the internet. No, forget, there was tons of chat when AOL chat was around. And then all of that noise settled down and we built the rest of the stuff. So if you're a C-level, you're on the board of a company, you're trying to figure out what you ought to do. Bitcoin is the blockchain, what AOL chat is to the internet an instantiation of the protocol. And <laughs> we don't want to be the chat business. So hey, one of the big areas in blockchain is this value exchange equation, right? And, and this is the part that you're talking about is transforming industries. Talk a little bit about the value exchange. We only got a few more minutes down this thing, but to help us, help us understand why people are so excited about the potential of blockchain. Very good. So blockchain does two things um, really well. One, it allows you to trust data, right? Data, we live in a world right now where data comes to us and says, hey, I'm data, trust me, you can trust me. Wink, wink, right? And we have to go to intermediaries for that. The first thing that blockchain does is data is going to come to us and go, hey, I'm data, you don't have to trust me. Here's an algorithm for you to test to see whether I was massaged or manipulated. And that will take a tremendous amount of cost and friction out of supply chains simply because we don't have to go to intermediaries and we don't have to spend time uh, and money to validate the, the fidelity of data sets. The second thing that it does is blockchains has smart contracts on top of the distributed databases where you have to follow rules in order to write records onto the databases. And I'm not talking about CRUD rules like you know primary keys and create and read and update and delete. I'm talking about business rules that are written as smart contracts on top of it. And the way the consensus algorithm works is you can see who are the people that wrote records that complied with the rules and the people who did not comply by the rules and are trying to write fictitious records. So now you also have the ability to understand the trustworthiness of a trading partner without the tremendous amount of familiarity or contracts. So it, it, you can get intimacy with trading partners in real time without having to have a contract with them and compliance and validation, et cetera. So if you think about those two things moving together, you're looking at, 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 at an economic system where business networks, business networks can no longer make the excuse that says, it's too expensive and difficult for me to show you all the data. I'm sorry, I can't tell you what my price, you know, what my cost really is, but this is my price because it's hard to integrate. You're not gonna be able to get away with those excuses anymore. The technology is there and the appetite is there. 
Wow. Okay, so we're talking about the future of trading networks, the future of commerce, all coming into one place. We're here with Richie Atwaru, Chief Digital Officer at, at IQVIA. He's the author of Blockchain Trust Companies. You can follow him at Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E, at Waru, E-T-W-A-R-U. Get the book, check out the video, and more importantly, get yourself going on the blockchain revolution that's happening right now. Biggest topic that's happening here live in Davos. So, all right. What Richie, we, thank you. Thanks a lot, Richie. Thank you very much, my friend. Safe travels, and thanks for stopping on the way in. So, <laughs> excellent. Next topic here, we're going to talk hot. It's really about IoT, and we've got someone special here, live here in the Wipro Pavilion, uh, Promenade 74. Who do we have here, Bala? Well, he's sitting next to me. But, uh, it's, it's great. It's a privilege to have an on-site guest. We have Jay Nard, Global Head of Internet of Things at Wipro. Uh, Jay drives Wipro's leadership role in broader IoT and industry 4.0 ecosystem, strengthening the presence and driving revenue growth of the IoT business. So on top of blockchain and, and artificial intelligence, certainly Internet of Things is top of mind at Davos, and we're looking forward to learning from you. You can follow Jay on Twitter at J-A-Y-R-A-J-N-A-I-R underscore IoT. Welcome, Jay, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're really excited to have you here. In Constellation's recent digital transformation survey, IoT was the number one item that people were looking at. And I really want to start with you, but I mean, you've been in so many places, so many experiences, building things for clients. What is going on in IoT and what is important for IoT to be successful? What, 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 what ingredients, what principles have to be there? You know, not just technologies, not just culture, not just people. You've had that experience. What should people know? Um, before I get into the specifics of IoT, I think I'll just talk about the World Economic Forum because we're all here in Davos. Excellent. Um, shared future in a fractured world is the theme around here. For me, personally, I think I'm driving the shared future in a smart connected world. Uh, because I can deal with the bigger problems that are going on around the world, right? Uh, let me come back to the IoT question. I think if I look at a very um, a simple rationale for why people are investing in IoT technologies, adopting them, it is to realize some business outcome, be it uh, enhanced operational efficiencies in the way they do things, better customer experiences. Uh, the value proposition to them is clearly around some uh, better way of doing work and living. Uh, so from a standpoint of how the solutions are constructed, you definitely have the edge tier, the platform tier, and the enterprise tier. So you have to have smart connected things if you don't, if they're not smart, you can, we help them make them smart. We help them get connected. We ingest the volumes of data into platforms. We analyze the data, we create insights. Uh, we provide the complete service lifecycle management wherein if it's an automated asset, sending reams of information, then we process it. Um, so the whole um, notion of end-to-end -end, from the edge all the way to the cloud, a connected stack, is what we build. But it's all focused around use cases on asset management, smart uh, connected supply chain, smart manufacturing, connected care, uh, many, 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 many sub-use cases in space. I think based on what a customer wants, we solve and enable the digital transformation. Long answer. That's amazing, that's amazing. So uh, Ray and I had the head of IoT at Cisco 
on our show a few months ago, and he talked about there's a, perhaps a misconception that innovation in IoT is coming from the consumer space, wearable, smart home de devices, and so on and so forth. But there's massive amount of transformation and innovation being driven on the B2B side. As you're at Davos, where do you see the IoT conversation? Uh, is, is it B2B, B2C, or are all companies thinking about digital transformation and how they can leverage Internet of Things technologies? I, uh, very good question. I think in the consumer space, there's a lot of uh, smart things out there today, generating volumes of information, some of which is useless. I think some of it is just a significant amount of noise in the environment. But at the same time, if you really look at the enterprises that we work with, the thousands of our primary customers, the large enterprises in manufacturing, in healthcare, in consumer business, in all of those scenarios, I think uh, the assets that are brought to bear and the assets that are smart and connected are usually large enterprise value assets, something which costs more than $100 a piece or $1,000 a piece. The types of information, if, if it's a diagnostic, let's take an example, if it's a diagnostic uh, machine for a healthcare service provider, and you've got 160,000 of them distributed around the world, you want a very secure, capable solution that collects certain types of data from the machine on, and then in, you know, has a platform for remote service, then provides the insights and also does the complete service lifecycle management. That asset is such a valuable piece of their business uh, new, the ability to offer new services over that pipe and the infrastructure and the plumbing that has been put in place uh, is enabled. So mostly the enterprise customers look at assets, look at the manufacturing environment, look at the supply chain in a little different perspective than the consumer environment. I mean, you're talking about big, uh, big assets, right? Jet engines, you're talking about power plants, you're talking about you know, things that need massive you know, you're, you're putting a sensor. It's not like a sticker on a device that's sticking in your mouth or something like that. I mean, we're talking about serious enterprise-grade stuff here. Yeah, no, in fact, if you take scenarios in connected care, uh, their consumable, uh, consumer-oriented wearable technology also plays a significant role because whatever data you collect from your home environment in remote settings, you integrate that with what you get in clinical settings out of big MRI machines or any other complex devices in the ICU integrate and provide a common dashboard for the customers. So it's a combination of, uh, so consumables and consumer-oriented wearables are also very relevant in this environment. I think the innovation velocity is much higher, but the ability to have sustainable kind of uh, implementations are more on the enterprise side. So Jay, you know, I'm a, a, a head of a, a call center, um, major enterprise call center. I'm the chief customer officer. And I'm reading all these research reports that say by 2020, you can expect billions of transactions from things directly to your contact center requesting for diagnostic replacement, return material authorizations. How does Wipro guide global contact centers to be ready for this tsunami of cases that are gonna come their way where it's not a person on the other side of the phone or email or social channel, it's a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, you know, the volume and velocity of information that these things are going to generate is only going to get larger and, and higher. So you have to figure out a better way of optimizing what you collect. So I think you sometimes, I mean, that has been a significant learning over the last two years. We've done about 60, 70 projects in this space wow. where large, large, large implementations and, and in all of them, what we've realized is 
you really have to look at what insight and operational efficiencies you're trying to get. And you work your back, way backwards into collecting that information. Otherwise, you generate a lot of noise. And so some of this distributed analytics and edge analytics capabilities that are coming about help us create the appropriate levels of rules and uh, uh, filters at the very edge. So you're, you're aggregating, you, you get better quality information, right? Seems like a perfect place for machine learning and AI to really add that augmented intelligence call center's need. Absolutely, the data path actually alters the control path, right? Yeah, yeah. In one way, from the edge. Uh, I think, uh, so the payload, the frequency of payload, I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, in one case, we were dealing with a, you know, a machine at the edge and the customer wanted a five second heartbeat ticker from the device. And the service lifecycle management in terms of fixing the device and the issues with the device was like two hours. So it was a very significant hurry up and wait scenario, yes. right? So starting to look at it from a perspective because this is a very evolving journey. The answers are something that you kind of discovery led and you figure it out as you go. But I think over the years we have learned to process information better. Uh, so the AI, ML technologies, uh, very good high-end cognitive capabilities, they all will play a role in terms of managing this information. Wow, we're getting live experience here at Davos. We're talking about what's happening with IoT. One of the experts, you've had experience at large-scale organizations from GE to Intel. Really excited to have your expertise here. For those of you who haven't met Jay before, uh, you can follow him at Jay Raj. J R A J N A I R underscore I O T and uh, follow him on Twitter there. And uh, he's the global head of IOT here at Wipro. Thanks for being on the show Pleasure, and live Thank here you. in the Wipro booth uh, at Davos. So. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. So, Thank you. Action. Another area really top of mind here at Davos is really thinking about what's going on with digital health, healthcare, and what's happening there. And who do we have better to talk about this than our next guest? It's, uh, it's a privilege for us to have uh, David Chow, or <laughs> I, I, I've got multiple videos. Dave, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Okay, terrific. So we have David Chow, Vice President, CIO, and Chief Digital Officer at Children's Mercy, Kansas City. David is uh, considered one of the top social influencers when it comes to digital transformation. He's been named numerous times as one of the top social CIOs. Uh, children's Mercy is consistently ranked among the leading children's hospitals in the nation. So we have one of the most innovative social CIOs leading one of the most innovative healthcare providers in the world. He's a must follow on Twitter at dchow1107, D-C-H-O-U-1107. And there's a rumor that he's got some game in basketball too, but I haven't witnessed it yet. So <laughs> it's just a rumor. David, welcome to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thanks, Valen. <laughs> Glad to be here. Those basketball rumors are still rumors to this day. I'm too old to play that game now. <laughs> so we're going to talk about health trends, David. And uh, we're at Davos, Ray's at Davos. And can you talk about some of the trends that you're seeing, some of the, some of the technology trends? We've talked about blockchain, IoT, AI. What are some of the technologies that, that's on your radar when it comes to transforming one of the most innovative uh, hospitals in the world? Yeah, so definitely AI, IoT, blockchain are the trends. But let's let's talk about the business side of healthcare in general and where that's going. Because I always want to fit in where the organization is moving in terms of our strategy. And then let's figure out how can technology be that driver. So if we look at healthcare trends in general, you're hearing about a lot of mega mergers in the North America. I mean, 
companies of size, $5 billion merging with another $10 billion organizations, what does that scale need to be in order to stay relevant? I think that's the name of game in healthcare in the North America. So I think the size is still to be determined. Do they have to be above 3 billion, 10 billion? We still don't know. But the name of the health, the name of the game of healthcare moving forward is how do you keep your patients out of the hospital? Very different than the model right now. Uh, the traditional model of healthcare and hospital from a business aspect is how do we fill it? Similar to airlines, right? How many seats can you sell on this airplane uh, in order to generate a profit? And hospitals traditionally ran that way. But now we're moving to an era, let's keep them out. We want them to be healthier. We don't ever want to see them. But in return, that's where IoT AI comes in. You need to really know this patient extremely well so that you can prevent them from coming in. You're going at risk in terms of your contracts and you're trying to figure out how do we make a margin at the same time. The only way to do that is with scale, which is why you're seeing these mega mergers in North America. And then we think outside North America, let's look at some of the things that's going on internationally. I was just talking to a system in, in China, one of the largest insurance carriers in China. Mm -hmm. They're trying to buy hospitals um, to grow that portfolio from an insurance perspective. But guess what? They're also trying to buy nursing homes as well and, and funeral wow. homes. So wow. you think about what are they trying to do? They're trying to create that entire ecosystem from birth until you die. So they want to be able to provide the facilities to give birth in the hospital. They want to provide the insurances for you to be able to take care during your lifespan. Then they want to provide the senior citizens home when you get to that age to where you want assisted living. And then at the same time, all in one package, we'll tell you how to, where to bury you in terms of the grave sites. That's a very interesting business model we think about, right? No one's in healthcare or life insurance going to say, oh, I'm going to buy all these things to take to take care of this individual holistically. So that trend is starting to happen in Middle East and the Asian market. You're starting to see these big organizations come in to buy, to tap into the healthcare market, to try to treat the entire life of this potential customer SaaS patient. So from that perspective, that's where I see technologies like AI, IoT, even blockchain, right? Blockchain is gonna disrupt every business model that has a middleman. If you think about from that perspective, it could solve every business problem that we speak of. So. Um, it's still a trend, in my opinion. I don't see a lot of healthcare buyers in my seats um, jumping into those technology right now. I mean, even getting the skill set to develop those technology, I think we're still quite a few ways away, but definitely on the radar. But if you look at just the trend in terms of the business opportunity that you see globally in healthcare, that's where we're headed to, Lala, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about a shift from volume-based to value-based uh, incentives. You're talking about massive mergers and consolidation. And you're talking about looking at global best practices in terms of how you construct your point of view. Now, as, is, give, as an example, is a single payer a best solution? Uh, talk to us about what you've seen in countries like Taiwan and others in terms of business models that could potentially be adopted in the U.S. Yeah, you look at countries like Taiwan and even Singapore and, and even the Canadian system, people will say, you know, that's relatively one of the, the best healthcare systems um, for, for the citizens. But it doesn't come free, right? The one thing that people don't understand, this is not free. Someone's paying for it somewhere. In Canada, you're paying a big, bigger chunk of your tax dollars to get free healthcare. So it is being funded somewhere. Um, so definitely not free. Um, one of the other problems is access. You know, getting access to, to a medical specialist in these single-payer systems is very difficult, which is why you're starting to see a lot of these private systems come up. And that's to supplement the fact that we can't get access a lot sooner than needed. 
So what's the right answer? Is single payer the right answer? I really don't have that solution. I don't know. But I would say, is it that much better? It could be, but it's definitely not free. Um, we like to look at the amount of the GDP in, in the U.S. That's a lot higher than anywhere in the world. Does it necessarily translate to higher outcomes and better quality? Um, there's a higher cost. But at the same time, I'm, we're not paying for it out of our tax dollars um, to get health care. And the model is also moving to a higher deductible. So what happens when that trend starts to continue where a lot more out of pocket versus utilizing insurance to pay for healthcare? Is that considered free? Would that be cheaper? It may be cheaper for people that don't use the system a lot more, um, but the folks that are frequent flyers that are seeking medical treatments, it may not be cheaper. So still to be determined, but definitely we should look at models like Taiwan, look at how they're set up. Maybe there's something we could learn from it to tweak the current system because currently it's still, we're not efficient. There's too many folks that's driving the, the healthcare costs upward. And, and the incentive's not there to really reduce costs yet as much as we'd like to talk about it. We're not really going at risk or even getting paid based on outcome yet, uh, even though that is a trend. Yeah, I know we've got moral hazards on pay for outcomes, and I think it's one of the things that uh, people have to think about. Now, one of the other big spots here in uh, Davos is really thinking about personalized medicine, digital health, um, and trying to deliver that. And when we think about how we tie um, healthcare, healthcare outcomes, IoT, what's happening in blockchain, as you were talking about, in terms of delivery of healthcare um, and, and, and monitoring of that healthcare, um, one of the big areas is, is really about uh, how people are able to actually deliver their own healthcare, uh, self-health, uh, personalized health self-quantification has now moved to self-preservation. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing as well um, as big data, medicine, and all this stuff come together? Yeah, um, also ties in one of the things I forgot to mention, these non-traditional mergers. You know, I talked about really traditional mergers of hospitals and health systems merging, but you're seeing non-traditional mergers as well. Insurance company buying retail clinics, right? Aetna and CVS, that's a big disruptor in the industry. Now you're going to go to a drugstore get medicine, even buy groceries, because they sell groceries there too. At the same time, get your medical care. So we're bringing that sort of experience out to the user at a convenient location for them um, versus the traditional model of, I need to call my doctor, I need to make an appointment, and I will go see him when he's available. Now you're meeting the customer at a point in that experience where, when they're available. So definitely that personalized medicine, that digital experience is coming uh, as we see it, similar to retail model. So I, as we see more and more of these these sort of non-traditional mergers and acquisition, definitely digital medicine on the rise. I mean, let's just Google Amazon right now. They, they're making a big splash in healthcare. They're hiring chief medical officers. They're hiring people to do the special healthcare projects. So when they start making this play, you know, Amazon Prime in your house, you wait for a healthcare in your house at a store that you, you may not even think about right now. So definitely it's all about the personalized experience. And without getting to that point, you can't really think about outcomes because everyone wants a specialized experience and everyone needs a specialized treatment in terms of their care. Um, the traditional way is not going to work anymore, especially as we start getting reimbursed a little differently. So definitely yeah. the digital medicine play is going, it's coming, it's huge. We're going to see a lot of these non-traditional players that's going to tap into the healthcare uh, space. And I, hopefully all my peers are ready because I'm still trying to figure out how do we get ready for this big shift. That's amazing. David Chow, you were amazing. We have the Vice President CIO CBO at Children's Mercer, Kansas City. David, we need to get you back on Disrupt. We need to devote a full 30 minutes to you. Thank you so much. Please follow David on Twitter at dchow, D-C-H-O-U-1107. Thank you for joining us on our Davos special edition of Disrupt TV. Yeah, and one of our BT150 winners as well. So congratulations, David. So 
we've got a good segue, even though I don't know if David understood what he did, to Saul Kaplan. But yeah. uh, let's introduce Saul and uh, one of the top thinkers. So, Bob, what's... what's it was an incredible segue because we've had three, our, our first three guests talked about technology, but they all put it in the context of business outcome and what I would say business model innovation. And we have one of the world's foremost authorities on business model innovation. Saul Kaplan is the founder and chief catalyst at Business Innovation Factory. We affectionately call it BIF, Business Innovation Factory. Saul founded uh, BIF in 2005 with a mission to enable business model innovation. This is so companies can stay relevant in a world that's constantly changing. BIF makes transformational change safer and easier to manage for institutional leaders by helping them explore, test, and commercialize next practices and new business models. He is an amazing follow on Twitter at SCAP5, S-K-A-P-5, and his blogs on Medium, again, at SCAP5 are a must read. That's where I go to learn about business model innovation. Welcome, SCAP. Welcome, Scott. Welcome, Paul. <laughs> hey, Val. Hey, Ray. Uh, Welcome, cool. You guys are so cool. uh, In Davos, um, uh, my mom would have been so proud if I finally made it uh, to Davos. Well, I'm like a, a geek wannabe who's you know, uh, ready to go after listening to your first three guests. I mean, these are the toys, right? You know, yeah. the, are the, those are the three we talk about, AI, IOT and blockchain, uh, but until they are integrated into new practices and new business models, they don't disrupt. They don't disrupt by themselves. Uh, and I think we're in this really exciting time right now uh, where these are not just pie in the sky future technologies, they're here and now, and, and leaders are really worried about being Netflixed or disrupted. You know, I, I thank Jeff Bezos for creating the market for what I do and what we do here at BIF, right? Because everybody is scared to death that they're gonna get disrupted and they don't wanna play defense, they need to play offense. So how do you do R&D, not for new technologies, but for entire new practices and business models, right? The way we do R&D for new products, uh, leaders are gonna have to do R&D for business models, to prototype and test new models, in the real world to see how we can deliver more customer value and a transformed experience. So this is a really exciting time to be focused on business model innovation. Hey Saul, you just mentioned something that's really important. A lot of people are thinking R&D like products, right. right? And you said business models, which are really essentially offerings, right? These are offerings that people don't typically think about. And, and the notion of offering management versus a product or a service is really, really different. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's a both and, Ray. Um, we've got to do both things. Of course, you're going to incrementally improve the existing model. The way it works, you're going to constantly put new products in the market, new services in the market. You're going to strengthen and change your capability set within the model, the way it works today, the way the organization creates, delivers, and captures value. That's the necessary thing to stay in the game. I call that share taking. The way the industry is defined today, how do you compete to take share away from somebody above you, you know, or below you? And how do you, you know, protect your share from somebody you know, who's trying to take it from you? But I'm interested in what I call market making. 
creating entire new models. And that's what it takes to avoid disruption. So while you're using these new technologies in what Clay Christensen would call a sustaining way, you better also be using them in a more disruptive way. Very different activities, very different investments, very different governance. Uh, and I see a lot of innovation groups uh, that are just doing the incremental. We become tweakers, right? Uh, and you need to do that in order to increase the value of your current business model, but that will not prevent you from being Netflix. You better also be experimenting with entire new business models. And that's what Jeff Bezos has done, right? I mean, he's experimenting every day using these new technologies you know, at a small scale. I, I saw the other day, every single thing Jeff Bezos does, you know, isn't going to come to market until three to four years out, right? And so this is not incremental change that will affect the P&L this year. This is what the future is. This is what the new business model is. And more and more organizations know they need to do it. So, so the theme at Davos, uh, Saul, is creating a shared future in a fractured world. Let's apply that creating uh, or co-creating value in a fractured business. When you advise CXOs and you're advising Fortune 10 CXOs all the way to startups that seek BIF's uh, you know, expertise and guidance, how do you help these executives create a safe environment so that they can set themselves up for new business model innovation, innovation endeavors? Well, the first thing we do is we get really clear about what we mean by innovation and we separate out the innovation projects that are incremental to today's business model. Right. And we manage that portfolio. And frankly, most large enterprises, you know, are, are getting better at how to manage that portfolio. Uh, but what they don't do is they don't recognize that you need a separate approach. Right. You don't need as many projects. You need a few pivotal transformational projects and you need to govern them and you need to resource those projects in a very different way. Those are projects that start with customer experience and are not constrained by the way the current business model works. Those are projects that you're going to explore your way to the transformation. I think the biggest mistake uh, leaders make is they think they can analyze their way to that future. You can analyze your way to incremental improvement, right? And you, should, you can pick between projects A, B, or C based on the tried and true you know, metrics and milestones. And you should do that. But in the transformation space, you can't analyze your way there. You have to explore your way there. You have to be willing to take an idea, prototype it in the real world without any spreadsheet predicting you know, whether it's going to work or not. And you got, it's a very different approach to innovation, and you have to do both. And as a leader today, the job is much more difficult. You have to continue to pedal the bicycle of the way it works today because no one's going to walk away from the current business model. Right. Uh, of course, you should incrementally improve it and manage a portfolio of innovation projects. But you should also have a separate, tighter, more compact portfolio of transformational projects that you give the freedom to work in a less constrained way in the real world to see what works. You know, you saw the Amazon Go announcement, you know, this week. Who knows whether that's going to work at scale, right? You know, they're going to try, they're going to, they're going to think big, they're going to start small, and then they're going to scale fast if it works, right? And that's, that's really what it's about. I use the technical jargon of we have to try more stuff, and yeah. most big enterprises have beat that out of us. We don't try anything unless we can predict it's going to work. 
And that's not how transformation works. The irony was the line for Amazon Go wrapped around the building. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all they did is use these emerging technologies you know, that you've been talking about for a long time, but they put it into an actual delivery model at a small scale, you know, and then they opened the door, and you're right, people wrapped around the, you know, around the block to see if it works. Who knows whether it's scalable? I guarantee you that they didn't authorize that experiment, you know, based on long-term projections of, you know, 8,000 outlets around the world, right? You know, they put one up and let's see if it works, you know, and then now watch how quickly they invest in it or take those capabilities and start to put them into other outlets and into other channels. Whole Foods. Yeah, well, instead of, instead of having mystery shoppers, we're going to have mystery shoplifters just to see how that puppy works. So. <laughs> Isn't that fun that he, they can actually build the shoplifters after the fact? It's <laughs> like, I thought I took it with me. Shoot, I got billed. What the hell? <laughs> so before we go, you have, in my humble opinion, one of the best conferences in the world, best conference I've ever attended. And I want you to talk about the art of storytelling and how you've created this incredible two-day event. And give us the dates and give us, you know, just give us insights in terms of yeah. how to create a world-class event. Yeah, and, and we put on uh, an event, you know, it's, I call it a smaller, more intimate TED. It's people that are trying to transform themselves, their organizations, and their communities. Because uh, we know there's three superpowers to do transformation work. Right, you know, one of them is human-centered design to see the opportunity through the lens of the customer as opposed to the lens of the enterprise, because that's the only way you do transformational. Rapid prototyping, which we talked about a little bit, right, where you're starting small to see if a new model can work. And then the third superpower is storytelling and engagement. Nobody transforms anything if they're not emotionally connected to it. And stories are the vehicle for that. So we run an annual event, you know, we call it our Collaborative Innovation Summit. This will be our 14th year, it's September 13th and 14th, here in you Providence. Before there was TED, it was Biff. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, Biff well, is before TED, exactly. <laughs> so you guys, you guys are veteran storytellers uh, at, our, at our event. Uh, and uh, as you know, uh, we, we keep it small. It's got a capacity for about 500 people. They come from all over the world. They're innovation junkies that want to learn from other stories and other people that are transforming you know, their organizations and their communities. And they know that the place to learn is in the gray area between our silos. At BIF, we call it random collisions of unusual suspects from <laughs> ruckus. And we design for it, we create the space for it, we create the room for it. Uh, and this event uh, is two of the most inspiring days for me and for our team at BIF. Uh, and it's a great joy uh, to run this event. It's a real celebration uh, of the idea of business model and innovation and transformation. Uh, so we look forward to it uh, every year and you can learn about it uh, on our, our website, you know, BIF. When's the, when's the event, when's the event next this year? Uh, pardon? 13, September 13th uh, and 14th here in Providence. Uh, you can already go to the website and see some of the initial storytellers. We don't call them speakers. You know, we want people to share the real deal. You know, we don't want the corporate speak. You know, we don't want the PowerPoint presentation. We want emotional stories of what it really takes to transform. You know, the good, the bad, uh, and the ugly. We stream it live uh, and allow people to participate uh, socially uh, on social media. Uh, 
and it's one of the most fun things that we do every year. And it's created so many important connections. And we've really learned how to do business model transformation because of all the relationships and interactions we've had over the 14 years we've been doing it. All right, well, get your ruckus on. We are with Saul Kaplan here live at Davos here in Switzerland, the World Economic Forum. Saul sharing his insights around innovation and transformational innovation. More importantly, he's the founder and chief catalyst at Business Innovation Factory. Follow him at SCAP5. Definitely an awesome follower. Thank you so much for being on this show. Thank you, Saul. Amazing. Every business executive should go to uh, this conference. It's terrific. Ray, closing well, remarks from Davos. Well, we're here at Davos. Air Force One has landed. Traffic is about to get chaotic. The snow is melting. Optimism is high. Every world leader has had their say. I even saw Merkel on the streets uh, earlier today. Lots of interesting characters walking around. Blockchain is hot. And uh, that's all I can keep saying. This is blockchain. Everything's about blockchain. I don't know what happened. Like, what happened to all the other issues about saving the world? And uh, I don't know what's going on. But, but this is actually um, very, very interesting. Um, we're going to talk more about those developments of what's happening, some of the policy implications, uh, areas around climate change are out there. And of course, more, more importantly, helping to improve and create jobs with technology. That's a very important piece that's uh, coming out here. So, but more importantly, we're about to conclude our day three broadcast here live in Davos, uh, World Economic Forum, and uh, I would say that uh, there's a lot of energy, a lot of buzzing, and we are entering um, a very uncharted territory as we await uh, what's going to be presented tomorrow morning uh, in the Congress in the uh, session. That's fantastic. Well, thanks everyone for joining us these three days uh, at Davos with Ray on site, bringing extraordinary thought leaders to our show. We will uh, be back on Friday, a couple of days from now on Disruptive at our regular scheduled time, which is 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard. And uh, we have uh, an incredible roster again. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Follow the hashtag Disrupt TV. And thanks again for joining us and sharing your point of view and helping us help companies transform in this digital age. Thank you, Ray. Be safe uh, traveling back to the States. And uh, always great talking to you. All right, everyone. Live here from the Web Pro Pavilion. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.